more time that you spend investing in yourself and educating yourself and learning how to work on the difficult systems and learning how to present different options and just being better at everything that you do, the more money that you're going to make. You're listening to Toolbox of the Trades, brought to you by Service Titan, a podcast for top service professionals where we interview leaders for their best tips and tricks of the trades. Learn how industry trailblazers stay ahead of the competition and how you too can be at the forefront of an industry. Let's jump in. Brad Peshek, welcome to the Toolbox for the Trades. Well, I'm glad to be here and thank you for having me, Jackie. I am so excited to talk to you. You are again a referral from the phenomenal Dave Rothacker. He's given me some really great guests so far, so I can't wait to dig into your story. But before we talk about you and what you do at McWilliams and Sons, I just want to get right to it. Why don't you tell us how you got into the trades? <laughs> okay, so um, you know, a little bit of my my background is that uh, you know, before I got into the trades, is I was a high school math teacher, and so I did that for uh, seven years. I taught all levels of, of high school math. I I really enjoyed it, you know. But teaching high school math is one of those things where there's no incentive for you to do a better job than the the teacher next to you. That's um, not performing, you know, better than you. And, you know, there's other things as well, but, you know, a few years into it, I, I kind of started thinking, you know, I don't know if this is something I want to do for the rest of my life. And then definitely, you know, six, seven years into it, I said, all right, it's time for a career change. So at the time we were, I was going to church with the McWilliams family. And so that was kind of my initial connection with them and Crystal Williams, who, um, a lot of people know her in the industry. She had a, a big presence in the community and a lot of connections. And so, she knew I was looking. She had my resume. She put my name out there for any and anybody, anybody that would uh, listen to it. And so um, I can remember it was actually her sister that came to me one night at church and said, hey, I think that my dad has a position that he feels like your skills would fit nicely for. And so I remember meeting Irvin at his house and, and, and talking with him. And, you know, at the time it was um, basically a special project. He said, you know, we, we really need somebody to come in and say, okay, we need to get this process in place. We need to get this rolling and for somebody to get that started and then fine tune it and then move on to the next project so that we can get to the next level, you know, and at that time, the the next level was, we were trying to get to $5 million. So um, in a nutshell, that's, that's how I, you know, got into the trades. Um, so, you know, again, started as a, as a high school teacher and then through the, the connections through church is, is how I uh, got my foot in the door here at McWilliams and Son. So. So just saying that for all the folks that are looking for people to work in the trades, apparently math teachers make a good uh, make a good candidate. So maybe get friendly with your kids' math teachers. I have so many questions about, you know, how those skills translated into special projects and then later to operations manager. And today you are the C, you are operating as the CFO, correct? Right? Correct. Yes. Cool. So before we even get into that, uh, can you please tell me a little bit about McWilliams and Sons? How big are you guys now? How many techs do you have? What kind of industry are you in? Commercial, residential, you know, the whole, the whole thing. Yes, ma'am. So we are uh, in, in 2020, we finished uh, right at $12 million. So the majority of what we do is residential. Um, we're strictly heating and air conditioning. Uh, we do do a little bit of refrigeration, ice machines, things like that. But that's a, a small percentage of our business. It's mainly HVAC. And so, you know, our, our mix has kind of changed, uh, especially after last year, we saw a, a lot of uh, decline on the commercial side. But, um, you know, we used to be as heavy as 60% uh, uh, residential, 40% commercial. And then last year, it, it shifted to 75% residential and 25% commercial. But that's kind of what our, our mix is there. Last year, we were able to do that with um, 13, I'm sorry, it was 17 what we would call residential style techs. Some of those, they go both ways and they'll run some light commercial as well. But we, and then we also have four dedicated, uh, what we call industrial, uh, just straight commercial techs. And so that's our guys that are going to be trained on the refrigeration side. And they're going to be, when we go into larger plants or work on boilers and, and just, you know, bigger stuff like that, that that's the guys that are going to handle that. They're all cross-trained, so they can all, you know, cover different areas. But it's, you know, we try to keep them in their their wheelhouse as much as possible. So we had, that was 
17 total techs. I'm sorry, it was 13 of the residential, four of the uh, industrial, 17 total. And then we had four dedicated two-man install crews. So that's what our, our field personnel looks like. And then um, on the we're at about 60 total employees. So um, the rest of that mix is, you know, back office management and, and um, salesmen. So. I know. That's very impressive. And I know that you guys have a pretty significant revenue goal for 2021, 15 million, I believe, right? Yes, ma'am. So it's a, I think it's right at a 25% growth. And, you know, it's what's been kind of neat to see it as, as the different, we've gone into different markets and, you know, we used to kind of do it where we, we would just run them from our main location here in uh, Lufkin. And, um, you know, we have one in Nacogdoches, which interesting fact is the oldest town in Texas in case anybody, you know, wants to know that. But and we also have one in Livingston, which is south of us closer to Houston. And so, um, but so this year, you know, we, we were, or uh, last year was actually the first year that we really looked at it strategy wise of breaking those out and setting different revenue goals and, and growth for, uh, goals for those locations, because we used to just say, okay, we're going to do, you know, 25% growth across the board. And then we would just, you know, split it out evenly and say, you know, this is what we need to do. And we've in the past couple of years, we've really strategized more to say like, okay, you know, in the Lufkin market, we see that, you know, we know we've been here, we have the market very saturated. So it's not as realistic to say, well, let's, let's do a 25% growth in Lufkin. And then we're going to do 25% Livingston where, you know, I believe in from 2019 to 2020, we did like a hundred percent growth in the Livingston area because again, we're not, you know, there um, we're not as saturated there and, and we haven't been there as long. And, and um, so we, you know, that's one thing that we did this year with that growth is, you know, I, I say all that to say it's a 25% growth, but we've uh, divided it out into the, the different markets and really strategize as far as how are we going to, you know, w what part is each market going to carry and what, it, you know, what growth strategy did they have? Interesting. I love the idea of a, of having different growth strategies for different markets. I mean, when you think about it, it makes sense, which is actually one of the things that Dave told me about when he introduced me to you is like, Brad has uncommon common sense. And I'm like, hmm, interesting. Uh, <laughs> how many locations did McWilliams and Sons have when you first came on board? So we just had uh, one. And so that was, you know, we serviced uh, a 50 mile radius. So, but it was just the one dedicated Lufkin um, branch. And so then uh, I think two years after I came on, we purchased a company in Nacogdoches. Um, and that's how we got our foot at the door in Nacogdoches. And then I think, you know, we had that company for like a year before we opened up a, uh, basically a satellite location. There It was more for Google purposes than anything, you know, to have address there. But then, um, last year we actually have a, we, we bought a new building and, and it's fully staffed. It's a, you know, full storefront and everything. So it's a, you know, where a good landing spot where, you know, we can have events there and, and meetings there. Um, and so it's, it's full blown. And then, um, I think last year as well is when we got our, or no, I'm sorry, it was two years ago also is when we added the, the Livingston location. So we had a, a location in NAC, you know, for a little bit longer, but it, uh, it was more of like I said, like a satellite office. Um, it wasn't, you know, full blown office, the one in, in uh, Livingston, we just got two years ago. So, but yeah. I'm going to throw a pretty hard question at you pretty quick. I hope you don't mind, but what's it like? How do you, well, I should rather say how, how do you manage to have those different locations far away? I, I'm not familiar with Texas geography, but I imagine that Lufkin and Akadosha are most likely fairly far from one another, right? So actually, uh, that's what we've been pretty fortunate with so far is uh, Nacogdoches is about a 30 minute drive from Lufkin and then oh. Livingston is about 45 minutes. So we are close enough to where we can hop into it. Yep, exactly. So it was, it was very strategic what we were, you know, what we were looking at. Um, I basically so. just drew a triangle with my hands and Brad. <laughs> it's, actually, it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually more of a straight line, just, just coming down 59. So it's, but yes, I, I get what you're saying with the triangle. Uh, but so yes, it was, you know, um, we do have plans to go further, you know, South eventually, you know, um, in more into the Houston area. But, um, so to answer your question on that is they're close enough to drive, but we have GMs in each of those markets you know, and, and I know we'll talk about some of this later, but, you know, it's one of those things of where, you know, we want to make sure that we have the right people in those positions because they need to fit our culture and they need to manage at that location and have the leadership there, just like we would have here at the, the Lufkin office. 
That's something that I find so often when I talk with folks in the trades who are managing different branches is that a branch will not succeed if the GM, the leader of that branch does not embody the culture or else you end up with two businesses running under the same name, but they're completely different on the inside. And it sounds like that then bleeds through everything else like customer service, profitability, et cetera. Absolutely. Absolutely. Got it. And we'll talk about hiring in a second. You were right. But I am just so fascinated. I haven't heard the math teacher to CFO at HVAC company yet. So you need to tell me what are some of the skills you took from your teaching role into, you know, you started in special projects, you made your way up to operations manager and now to CFO. What are some of those teaching skills that have you, you found to be really valuable in your current position? So I think the probably, you know, there, honestly, there's not, there hasn't been that many uh, actual math related uh, skills that I've gotten to bring over, not as many as I would, you know, so, so there is, there's definitely a lot of math of what we do, but, and, and I don't mean this in a, in a con, you know, or an arrogant way or anything, but it's, it's pretty elementary to the math that I taught or in, in classes that I had, but I, I still, I enjoy that aspect of it, but more so is it, it was probably the understanding of, uh, or the realization that adults really aren't that much different from the high school kids that I taught. And I thought, and the people would be like, well, you're, you're crazy. There's no way, you know? And I said, it because just people are generally speaking, they're all built the same and they all want the same thing Now you have those outliers. And I know just different things make us tick, but so, you know, some specific examples of that are, I'm going to say, you know, that people don't all learn on the same level and at the same pace. So it may take somebody longer to learn a concept or a skill than it does somebody else. And in the long run, that person that learned it slower may actually learn it in more detail and then become better at it than that person that picked it up on the, the quick side, you know? So as teachers, initially, those are the kid, the students that you love. You're like, all right, man, they're, they're getting it quick. They answer my questions quickly. And then you kind of, you know, you start to see, well, that's, that's superficial. I like that. And then you see that one kid that really doesn't say much sometimes and, but you can kind of see the wheels turning. And then as the year progresses, you're like, that's the kid that really gets it. You know, that's the kid that's, you know, either, you know, the, is GT or just is, is really understanding the concept. So that's one thing that I was able to carry over is the understanding of like, don't just give up, you know, so quickly if somebody doesn't understand something right away. Or if they, you know, they didn't get it even the first few times, um, you've got to have a, you know, patience when you're teaching somebody um, something. And, and again, some people are going to get it quicker than others. Doesn't mean that they're necessarily any smarter, um, you know, because that person, that other person may be a more methodical thinker and um, then just have a, end up having a deeper understanding later. Uh, so that was, that was definitely one thing that I was, you know, um, I saw translate well, um, and to have that understanding. And then likewise with that is understanding that, you know, people have different learning personalities or learning styles. Um, and so, you know, um, this, you know, so this tech may be hands-on and that's how he's going to learn. Um, but this tech may be the one that really picks up in a classroom and he wants to read the manuals. He wants to read books and, and that's the way that he's going to pick it up. So I was able to, to, you know, bring that over as well and to, to understand that. And, and again, that helps you with people when you're trying to, again, maybe do a growth plan with this tech and say, man, he just doesn't get it or he doesn't, you know, he's, he's not going to work for it. And you're like, okay, well, have we tried this? You know, maybe he's one of those, he's got to get out there and touch and feel it first before we can put him in the classroom and understand it. And then some of them may be, you know, wired just the other way where they want to know as much as they can in the class before they go work out in the field. And that's kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm wired that way is I want to know as much about something. If I, if I'm going to try to work on it, I want to know as much about it before I go out there and I just try to start messing with it. Now, eventually I'll learn hands on, but put me, I'm the, put me in the classroom setting first. So, um, and then, you know, probably the other thing too is whether people will admit it or not is they like structure. And so, you know, sometimes, you know, in all, all students are like that, um, especially in high school, because you never know what they have at home and what, you know, some of them are coming to school to have that structure and to have that routine. 
And again, I, I, I firmly believe that adults are the same way is they want, we, your employees and your team members want to know what is my day going to be like today as much as possible. Now that can be hard in our industry sometimes, you know, because of the, the demand and, and sometimes we're going to run calls until, you know, we have to, and you can't always plan the day out accordingly, but as much as possible, you need to give them that routine and that structure. So they know that this is what my day is going to be like. Cause it's like I said, I don't care who, you know, who they are, what they say, they like structure and they like routine. So, you know, for your, your weekly meetings, they need to be probably same location, you know, at this, on the same day, at the same time, like where they know this is, we're always having this meeting. And that's one thing we strive for too, is like all of our meetings are structured in a very similar way. So you could walk into a service technician meeting and the flow of it should be very similar to if you were to walk into the office meeting with the CSRs. So giving people that structure, that routine, that predictability as much as possible. And then probably the last thing, you know, I would say is that two or three years into teaching is when I really realized that again, you don't know what kids are dealing with at home and there's so many distractions. Some of them are, you know, they're, they're the parent at home, they're cooking, they're taking care of siblings. And so what I learned was I tried to make the, the most of every minute in the, in the classroom and say, I'm gonna pretend like this is the only time that I'm, that they are going to learn from me is when I have them for 45, 50 minutes in my classroom. So the, you know, there's going to be the ones that will go home and do the homework, do the extra credit. And those are going to be the one built. Yes. They're going to naturally advance faster. And it's the same way for your employees. But you know, my, my point of that is that you have to, and we have to do as much as we can with them while they're under our roof and they're on the clock for us and assume that, yeah, I know we want them to self invest and, and do these train, do this stuff after hours and be interested in it. And some of them are, and that's great but there's a lot of distractions once they leave and, you know, they have a family, they have things going on outside of work. So as much as we can do with them here while we have them on the clock is the better. Um, so that was, you know, those are probably the, the main takeaways that I have or that, that translated to uh, teaching. Quite good ones. I should say, Brad, I, I'm a little, I feel sorry for the kids that you no longer get to teach because I have a feeling that you were probably a really good math teacher. Those were all phenomenal insights just from recognizing that people have different learning styles. Growth plan for a tech. I haven't had anyone talk to me about that. The structure and just being mindful about everyone has other things going on outside of work. Uh, I could tell you think very deeply about your employees and that probably resonates when you're with them. So that was me complimenting you. Uh, <laughs> that was great. Thank you, Brad. So based on what you know now, what would you have done differently? So you did special projects, you did operation manager, your CFO, you got plopped into this trade from the math world. Now that it's 2021, you've been here for a couple of years. What are some things that you would have done differently having the knowledge that you have now? So it's, it's one of those things like you could go back and do it all over again. I mean, if I knew I was going to come into this, you know, profession, I would, and I was, I still was going to go to college. I would have, you know, obviously taken a different career path, um, a career course in college. I would have liked to probably had some more background in business and management and finances, because, you know, all of that has been taught to me by the owners of the company and then just working with different people and different companies and just, just learning that which they've done, you know, I said the owners, um, Irvin, who is the Trey's dad, he, he was the, he's actually the second generation of the McWilliams and son. You know, he, he taught me a lot early on and then Trey too, Trey's extremely sharp on the, the finance side and management leadership, all of those areas. And so that's where I've learned it for. But if I could go back, I wish, you know, again, I, if, if I'm going to spend my time in college, I would have liked to, you know, take some more classes on that. Now, that being said, I do believe that, you know, I, I'm kind of on the fence with college now, you know, because it's one of those things of, you know, especially now that I know what's available in the trades, you know, college isn't, I don't think college is for everybody. And I think we need to really stop pushing that. Um, it's, you know, th that was one thing in, in high school or teaching high school that I struggled with, but is that it, it's not for everybody and you can make a, 
a impressive living and, and probably even a, a, a better living than people that have gone to college working in the trades. So anyways, I'm kind of digressing on that, but, um, it, so, you know, like I said, I, I don't, where I was going with that is, you know, I don't necessarily think that your answer to your education is always in a classroom. And so what I really would have done differently and what I, I continue to do now is just, you know, make as many connections as possible with people that are in the trade and people that are doing it successful to hear what's working for them, what's not working for them, read as many books as possible, you know, listen to podcasts, listen, you know, subscribe to newsletters, just any kind of information and education that you can inundate yourself with. That's what I try to do now. And I wish I would have, you know, kind of started that earlier. But again, that's, that's one of the, the things I would do differently. And so then on that, you know, again, Urban and Trey from the beginning, they, they always did a pretty good job of communicating their vision for the company. But it's one of those things when you first come into it, before you really are in the industry, and you know, it, you're like, okay, I, I kind of I kind of get it. And they had always recommended the E-Myth book. And so it was, you know, and this, this was before the, the, the Ken Goodrich, you know, version, but th this is the original one. And so they um, had kept, you know, you know, say that's a good book to read. That's a good book to read. And I think it was probably about two to three years before I read it when I worked there. And that is probably the one book I wish I would have read before I ever started. So I have a lot, a lot of book recommendations, but that's one that I probably would have would recommend before I've ever started. So I'll, I'll make you feel better, Brad. I've been working at Service Titan for almost four years, and I didn't read the E-Myth until Ken Goodrich personally <laughs> sent me his own copy. And I was like, fine, I guess I'll read your book. And it, 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 is, it is very good. And I should also say that you are not the first person on this podcast to not talk badly on college, but to really say, hey, I wish that, especially in a high school situation, I wish I had more resources to steer some of my kids to different options in the four-year degree, especially now that so many people are inundated with ridiculous debt, right? Absolutely. So thank you for sharing that. That's great. So let's talk about hiring, which I'm really excited about because <laughs> when we first spoke and we first got to know each other, I believe you said you had 15 or 16 people who were getting ready to join Mick Williams and Sons. So that's a pretty big freshman class. So talk to me about what the strategies you guys are using to draw such a giant number of new recruits. If they have a pulse, we just, we just bring them on. <laughs> <laughs> so honestly, the, our, our, our best recruiting tool is, is word of mouth. And so when we are making a big push and we need to hire that many positions, we'll put a, a Facebook post out there just to raise awareness. So everybody knows. And then we, get, you know, usually we're, inundated with applications from that. But our, like I said, the, the, the biggest thing is the word of mouth, because what we always tell our employees is you should always be talking to the waitress when you have good service at Chili's, or if you are wherever you take your get car to get service and you're getting excellent service from that, the auto tech there, just, Hey, talk to him and just, you know, you can say, even though we may not have a position now, we're always hiring. If if something doesn't work out here, come by and, and talk to us. And, you know, we have, you know, competitive benefits. We have very competitive pay and, and uh, just a great company to work for. So there, we always, we, we teach that to our employees is that you should always be recruiting for the team members that are going to join us because the better team members that you bring on board, the better the company is going to be, the easier your job is going to be. So it, it benefits you and it benefits everybody for you to bring on people that are like-minded like you that have our core values in place. You know, so we also do have a, uh, with that, a, a recruitment plan, or I'm sorry, a recruitment bonus for field personnel. So if, if anybody in our organization brings on a field personnel, so is if, if they, I think it's like, um, $500 if they don't have any experience and then it's a thousand dollars and this is paid to the employee that brings them on. It's not to the new hire thousand um, dollars after 90 days. And then it's $2,000 for uh, every one year anniversary. So yeah, so it's because it's one of those things of where, what's that? I said indefinitely. Indefinitely. So, wow. um, so it's, it's a huge 
incentive for them to keep them on and, and again, make sure that everything's going, you know, uh, well for them, because it's one of those things where, you know, we calculated the cost of, you know, what does it cost to train and rehire people and get them back up to speed. And so we said, Hey, look, you know, in the grand scheme of things, if, if they bring on somebody good and two thousand dollars in the you know annually for that person is is a drop in the bucket to be honest and we've seen you know you know a lot of success from that and again it's just been neat to see how once they bring them on they will almost without even telling them they'll become a a mentor for that employee and just make sure because you know and now it is um they they do have i don't want to call it ulterior motives because they you know they want to of course keep getting that bonus but they also, you know, they're always checking in with them and just they'll, they'll be a voice for them sometimes and say, Hey, he's having this issue, these issues, or, or would like to see this different. So it forms a very natural mentorship, um, with those, but I'd say probably over the past four, four years, 95% of our hires have been connections that were already in the company. So it was a sibling or it was a previous coworker that they worked with. And they said, he's looking for a job. We got to get him. Or, um, it was best, you know, their best friend or just something like that. So that's what, that's what the majority of ours is. We've been pretty fortunate to where we've built a pretty good culture here. And so people are, you know, out there and they talk about how, you know, what a great company it is to work for. And a lot of people know that. So when they see that we're hiring, they want to come work here. I love that. And I also love how I think that bonus structure you gave is great. You know, incentivization, that's huge. I think that just getting that buy-in from the employees and really motivating them to make sure that they act as those mentors. I mean, you said ulterior motive, but it, it's it's an incentive. <laughs> but it is incentive, right. But you know what? Like with every touch point, I would imagine they make with that person they brought in, the stronger they develop their work relationship, the more they feel that uh, the new person feels they can go to this person who brought them in for help and for guidance. So I think that's really smart, actually. I've heard of folks doing incentives where, you know, 500 when they first join a thousand, if they get to 90 days, but I haven't heard it continuing year over year. So that's, that's pretty nice. I, I almost <laughs> wish service Titan did that. I've, 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 I've gotten a couple of people jobs at service Titan. So we, we may look back here in another five years and go, Ooh, that, that cut into the overhead a little bit more than we thought. But right now it's, it's a, it's, it's been a good uh, investment. So. You know what? That kind of feels like a good problem to have. Um, <laughs> right. We hired so successfully. We haven't had a technician <laughs> leave us in five years. Um, yeah. So it sounds, so I've, but I've also heard, you know, the, give the, you know, when you have a good service at Chili's or when you know someone who's working at the movie theater or at Costco, you know, always be looking for someone who fits our culture. Do you guys have uh, an apprentice program at McWilliams? So not really. Um, what, what we do is, so out of those 15 new hires, I think five of them are field personnel. And so what we'll do with those is, and, and really this is kind of, our standard process is they come on and shadow all the different positions in the company for two weeks. Sometimes depending on when the training that they're going to, it may be a little bit longer, but this time it worked out to be two weeks. And then we will send them to um, a total tech, you know, or build a tech school. We've used different ones in the past. So it's not like we're, you know, we always use the same one for this round. They're, they're going to the actual total tech school. So they'll go there. I think they're there for three or four weeks. And also keep in mind that, you know, these guys are, most of them have a mechanical background. That is the one thing we, we really try to hire them green. We have the mentality that we don't want them to come with bad habits. We want to be able to teach them the McWilliams way of how it needs to be done correctly. So that's not, you know, to say we won't hire anybody with experience, but most, you know, again, for the past three or four years, most of our guys that we've hired have been green. And then, so they'll go to the total tech class and, They'll learn everything they need for the basics. And then when they come back, they'll be in a truck and they'll start running maintenance agreements. And so then from there, you know, we have a, you know, we're fortunate enough to be at the size we are to have a, a, a training specialist, a field support specialist. And so, you know, one of his responsibilities is he's always checking in with these guys once they get back and kind of just, you know, reevaluating them 
is there anything, you know, any skills that they're still lacking? Is there something that, you know, I need to train with them on specifically, but especially now that we've moved to performance pay, it's really from there. It's really, you know, they're however quick they want to get up to speed because, you know, and that was one of the big things that when we talked about performance pay and we rolled it out to our guys is like, you're going to be in charge of what you make and you're going to be the one. So, you know, the more time that you spend investing in yourself, and educating yourself and learning how to work on the difficult systems and learning how to present different options and just being better at everything that you do, the more money that you're going to make, you know? So, so once they get back from that class and they're, they start running checkouts now we're going to, you know, they're going to do that, you know, uh, for probably two months. And then by the summertime, that's when you kind of really start seeing which ones are, are really getting it, which ones are sharp, because those are going to be the guys that are going to get to start getting on problem calls. And then naturally they're going to be able to generate more revenue. And then the ones that still, you know, will give them a chance and maybe they're like, mm, he still needs a little bit more work. And that's where the, the training specialist comes in to work with those guys. So we don't have a, you know, we don't have an apprenticeship program. That's, that's kind of our onboarding process and how we handle that. No, I love that. And thank you for being so transparent about it. I've talked with a lot of companies recently that are, at the 50 100 million mark and they've done crazy things like no they're not crazy they're great things they're starting their own technical schools but i'm so interested about how companies at your size which is still pretty significant how you're doing it because i know there are a lot of different teachers out there who do their own who have their own schools chris hunter who works at service titan he has the Good Time School, I believe, and uh, Joe Cunningham, who we recently had on a webinar, he has a school. So there's a lot of really great schools out there. And it sounds like the company, you in the leadership team need to figure out, okay, which one of these technical schools do we have a relationship with that teaches text the way we want them to be teached? And let's figure out a designated person on staff who can help them once that intensive training is over. Absolutely. And I think that's honestly probably... The more part, important part is when they get back in the follow-up of, you know, what are they still lacking? What do they need? Because like I said, we've sent them different, um, different, you know, schools and, and nothing against any of them. You know, they all learn something a little bit different. A lot of times it's, it's honestly with the scheduling, as far as when do we need to send them and who's got classes available during those times. But so I, you know, I think that follow-up once they get back and making sure somebody's still checking in on them and still continuing their education is, is huge. That's awesome. I love that. Quick follow-up on the performance-based pay. When did you guys make the switch? So we've been on the install side, we've been performance-based for a while. I think that was one of the things that I had to get in place. It was probably like my first year or two here. That one was a lot easier. And then Trey had, you know, he said, we need to get performance pay on the service side. And it's, it's one of those things of like, okay, yeah. And it was, you know, we tried it a couple of different times and drew up some things. And it was just like, it was almost like we could never get the momentum or, or fully get the plan in place to say we felt comfortable to, you know, this is the way that our guys are going to start getting paid. So we actually just went to it live last year and on the service side. And I mean, it was, you know, it, I wish it, that's another one of those things. I wish we would have done that, <laughs> you know, five years ago because it made such a huge difference. You know, it's, it's one of those things of it self manages and self corrects so many of the bad behaviors that you hear contractors talking about just hitting their head against the, the door of, you know, uh, you know, they, uh, they, they don't get to their first job at eight 30 and I've, I've always got to, you know, watch them on the overtime and I've got to make sure they don't, you know, they don't try to cheat me on lunch and, and all these different things. I mean, it, it really corrected that. And it set cause ultimately our goal was, you know, we wanted to reward the guys that were performing and it not just have to be like a tenure of, well, this we're paying this guy $25 an hour because he's been in the, in the industry for, 15 years and we're paying him for his experience, but what is he really generating in revenue for the company? So that, that was our, you know, probably our main goal was we wanted to reward our, our top performers. Now, when you do that and you go to a, a performance-based system like that, it's also going to weed out, unfortunately, for, for those guys that, are, that aren't performing. And so it naturally did that. It was some, you know, some of those that was, they were never really discipline issues. You really couldn't put your thumb on it of, you wouldn't want to just necessarily fire the guy, but after about three or four months of performance pay, they said, 
all right, I've got to, you know, they had to go somewhere else where they were going to get paid hourly. So, you know, it, it naturally corrected some things like that. And just, just a lot of issues that we beat our head against the, you know, against the wall for a long time. And so that's uh, something I wish we would have done a long time ago. That's really interesting. Definitely a win-win for the company and most likely a win for the tech who flourishes a little bit better on hourly too, right? Because now they're going to go somewhere that will work for them. But Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. As, we, as we're talking, I can't help but think back to your one of your first answers where you talked about how being a math teacher, you weren't, you weren't incentivized to be a better math teacher than the guy teaching next door, the woman tech teaching next door. And it's so interesting that how throughout our conversation, we just keep talking about incentivization and really rewarding the folks in your company for going above and beyond, learning more about their trade, really treating the customer above and beyond. So I just think that's very interesting. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about a lot of things, but I'm going to jump around a bit because we've already been talking for almost 40 minutes, which is incre- incredible. I hardly ever get to talk to CFOs. I will say that Personally, I am terrified of accounting and math, so I'm just happy to know a friendly face in the space, but I really would love to hear from your perspective on the operations, on the CFO side, especially since you've seen McWilliams go through such growth in the last few years. Talk to me about some of the biggest obstacles that you guys had to overcome and how you did it. So uh, probably the the number one thing is what you know, we talk a lot about as managers, we have to make a lot of difficult decisions. And that is probably the number one thing that, that comes to my mind. Um, because it, it, it really, to me, the difficult decisions are when you're going to change something that's going to affect somebody's livelihood. And so that's as simple as before we've gone from having a weekly payroll to biweekly, making a change like that. And then when we do a different pay structure for anybody, you know, even for our managers, we're usually changing the pay structure. Now it's always again for the betterment of, for them, you know, to be able to uh, have more opportunity and, and to make more. Uh, but still you also have that knowing of it still relies on the company to perform. So there's a, there's a you know small chance that you could be affecting that person's livelihood and they could not make as much, you know, as they did the previous year, or even, you know, when you, you just have somebody that's not in the right spot, um, and you've tried to do everything for that person and, you know, you've tried, you're, you know, coaching and, and just helping them and, and you have to end up, you know, terminating somebody to me, that's, those are the, the, the most difficult things that, that have come with growth because when you're a smaller company, we could let people hang around more. And I, I don't mean this, I'm probably gonna say this the wrong way, but have, have some baggage people that maybe necessarily weren't carrying their weight. And then as you, as you continue to grow and you look at like, we, we really need to get lean and we really need to, you know, make sure that everybody is, you know, carrying their weight and being as efficient as possible. There's again, some difficult decisions where you're saying, okay, well, this person may not, may not come with us to that next level, but you know, so that, that's one of the things. And then I would say, you know, putting processes in place is probably the, the other big thing is because you know, we have, we have a lot of great ideas and a lot of things that we want to change. And I, I remember, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, but service Titan had actually sent out an email and they were basically talking about how they weren't going to do, I think they weren't going to do the release notes every month or, or the release updates like that, because they were saying basically what was happening is they were, they were releasing all these new features, but they weren't, they weren't necessarily completed and ready to roll out. And like, I mean, I felt that, you know, because we, <laughs> I was like, oh man, I, I get it. I get it. You know? And, and so that's, that's another thing is like, cause I mean, we're, you know, we're very ambitious and we we're like, okay, let's do this year, this year, let's add this, let's change this. And you can come up with all these ideas and we can assign them to, to people and the teams. But sometimes it's, it's very, it's difficult because you think you've got that process in place and then it kind of, the year starts going and then you're like, all of a sudden you know, things start falling through the cracks and you're like, Oh crud, we didn't have that in place. Like we thought, you know, like we thought we should have. So then you kind of got to go back and and revisit it. But that's, that's probably one of the biggest struggles I would say is, is as you go to each new level is to create the new process. And, and again, it's, that's kind of where the E-myth comes in is 
every time, you know, we're making a process now our procedure, it's like, okay, is this scalable? You know, can we take this to the next level? If we, you know, open up the location in Livingston, are they going to be able to implement this? And is it going to work like that? So those have probably been some of the, the most difficult things. And, and, you know, what, what it comes down to is, you know, you have to make time for what ends up being the most, the most important and make sure that you have a, you know, a clear vision and a clear list of those things for your team to be working on and say, this is what, you know, if, if nothing else happens today, this is what you've, you've got to get accomplished. And we've got to make sure that this is, you know, 100% ready to go. And, uh, before, you know, the busy time hits and so that we can fall back on this and there's, it's almost automatic to where we know this is how we do it. Yeah. That's a great answer, by the way. Uh, thank you for relating to our release notes adjustments. <laughs> it's so funny. I can't wait to share that with some of my teammates to my, some of my team members. When you answered that, the first thing that struck me obviously was, you know, I, on this podcast, we talk all about business and business growth and scalability, but overwhelmingly the pe people always come through. Right. And when I first spoke with you, you said that when I joined the trades, I thought it was going to be more technically minded, but it's more people oriented that I can ever imagine. So I can only see how difficult that must be as you grow and, you know, you get to know people, you can't help but develop relationships with your coworkers and your colleagues. And sometimes they're wonderful people who just aren't in a great position. And in a leadership managerial role, you sometimes have to make tough decisions. So it sounds like you've had to do that before. So I, and, please go ahead. And you're, you're absolutely right. And, and really that was, you know, that was more so in the, the growth process. Like now I feel like we have a very good, you know, screening process of it, it's very rare where we have to ever, you know, let somebody go now, you know, in, in the stage that we're at, because early on, like I said, it was, you know, just like you're saying, it was people that, you know, they, they were in the wrong position and, and then things were starting to change and they didn't want to change with it. And so, but yeah, it's, it's still always, it, no matter, you know, who it is or what the circumstances are, that it's something that never gets easy. And it's, you know, it's a difficult thing to do. Earlier on, you said we've gotten really good at getting the right people in the right bus. That's been the key in growing these new markets. So can you elaborate that a little bit? How, do, how did you guys kind of nail that system down and also in turn get to this place where you're not there, you're not putting the wrong people in the wrong seat or the right people in the wrong seats and you're allowing for more growth, not just as a business, but individually? So it starts with the interview process. So we do two layers, you know, and it's always going to be with two different team members uh, when we do the interview. And so if, you know, them, if they do well on the first round, we say, this is somebody we need to look at, we'll pass them on to the second round. But so four people have had a, a touch on that person before we ever, you know, are going to hire them. And so in that, you know, for example, we just had a, you know, when we did this hiring spree, a lady that interviewed for the dispatch position, well, I was also looking for, I had, um, I needed a, another accounts uh, payable clerk. And so this lady came in that, you know, interview for the dispatch position. And so I happened to be in on the first interview. And then I, uh, after she left, you know, the, uh, the operations manager actually did it with me. And I said, she would be perfect for the, you know, accounting clerk. So it's kind of one of those things where you learn people and their, their traits and you start to pick up on different things, uh, to say that's what they would fit well in this role. And also a lot of that is, is disc profiles. You know, we, we use disc profiles a lot. So as part of their onboarding, when they come on, they, you know, that's one of the first things that they do. So, you know, we can really know where, you know, is this going to be a position in fact that they're going to do well in. And if not, you know, we'll start seeing, you know, we originally brought, you know, bought this person off for this, but man, they've got these strengths in this area. And we really have been, you know, needing to make that a standalone position or make that a new position. And so we can sometimes move that person in, into that role. So, you know, and, and even for, for myself, I can speak from that because again, just in, in clarity, like I, I don't necessarily like managing people, you know? So again, when I was, when I was operations, because, you know, it's, it's funny because like, I love math because it's always, you know, you always have a definite answer and it's, it's, it's clear cut, you know? And so that was one of the things when I started, you know, when I was managing people in the operations manager role, I was like, 
oh my gosh, like this is, you know, people are, sometimes they just drive me crazy. Like, I don't, I don't understand people, but uh, anyway, so that was, you know, one of the things too, where, you know, cause in the CFO role, it was also, Hey, you know, Trey looked at that and said, like, you know, let's be honest. We know that that's not, you know, something that you enjoy doing is being over all these people. And that's not just necessarily a natural strength of yours. And, you know, in the CFO role, I still do, you know, I still do manage, you know, people, but it's not near to the multitude that I did when, when I was operations manager. So even myself has, you know, we've had that happen, but basically it's, it's continuing, continue to evaluate people and their strengths and their skill set and see, you know, where are they going to fit in best at? I love that. I'm speaking to, I don't know if you know her, but her name is Kathy Nielsen. She's a consultant for the trades and she's on, she'll be on this uh, season earlier than you. And she mentioned disc in her interview as well. What is your disc profile? I am a full, I'm a full D by the way. I'm like 99.9% D. Really? I would not have guessed that. I know everyone thinks I'm more of the teamwork, uh, like a community building person, but no, I'm, I'm like a dog with a bone. You give me a task. I'm going to finish it. Awesome. I would, I would have thought you were on the, the high, uh, yeah. spectrum. So yeah. it's funny when, you know, when we talk about the disproposite, I'm on the C. So I am cautious, calculated to the max, but like Trey and I, we, we are total opposites on the disproposite. So he is high D low C and then I am low D high C. So, um, you know, it's funny how though, you know, we compliment each other. We do butt head sometimes because he's that, you know, (laughs) that D is let's go, let's get this done. And I'm like, I'm kind of like, Hey, well, hold on. Let's, let's think about this. Is that the best way to do it? And so, uh, but he, you know, that's one of the things he talks about is how we all, you know, balance each other out, but I am, I am C to the max. Yes. I love that. You've talked already about Irvin and Trey several times during this episode, and you mentioned that they've, they mentored you tremendously as they got you on board for this role. So what, how should someone in the industry, if they don't work for McWilliams and Sons, who has a amazing incentive program that gets the person that referred them to check in on them all the time, how would you recommend folks go about seeking a mentor? And furthermore, what mentoring advice would you give to folks who want to help some of the younger generation in their trade? Or not, I shouldn't say younger, but the newer generation in their trade, the newer folks. So as far as, as seeking out a mentor, Dave Rothker, I mean, he's, he's the best there is. So just call him up and, and, and <laughs> I'm just kidding. But no, Dave, Dave is a great mentor. But um, it, it, in all seriousness is you, you've got to make connections and you've got to be, you, you've got to put yourself out there that, that you're looking for a mentor. And I think, you know, in this day and age, there's no reason not to be able to do that. Like with the, the service Titan mastermind group or the service Einstein's group is get in those groups. And, and when you see people like, you know, Landon Brewer posting in there and you see like, man, that's, he's always got a good, you know, take on this. And I like the way that, you know, he, he puts a spin on that or just, there's so many different people that are in those groups that, have such great advice and, and reach out to them and message them. Um, you know, we got before, uh, COVID broke out this past year, we had the chance to go visit ghetto. And I, I mean, I, I still tell people and I was amazed that their hospitality and they were, they were open to any questions we had. And it was, it was super neat because they're a true example of, you know, they want to help other people, in the trades, you know, and they, they, they're now, I'm not saying like, Oh, Ken Goodrich or, or Landon's going to be, you know, reach out to them and they're going to be a mentor for you, but they could put you in contact with somebody at their organization. And again, I'm just using them as an example because that's one that we got to go to last year. And, but look in those groups and you say like, man, okay. So I, I posted this question or somebody posted this question that I'm, I'm struggling with. And this guy from this company gave a, a good answer you know, message that guy, reach out to him and, and people want to help you in this industry. That's what I've been blown away with at the most is like, they want to share their knowledge and they, they don't want you to, if they can save you some headache, they will, you know, and they will give you best practices and they'll say, this is what I wouldn't do. So, um, you know, don't be afraid to reach out to those people. That's, that would probably be my number one suggestion. And then, you know, just being parts of 
any group that you can, if it's service nation and going to their events, next star praxis, you know, just any kind of, you know, contractor best practice group, there's tons of connections you can make in there. And somebody, somebody's going to be willing to mentor you if you make the right connections. So. Great. And in terms of being a good mentor, since Trey and Irvin were such good mentors to you, what were some qualities that you think other people should try to exude? So I think you definitely have to be an expert in your particular area of what you do in the business. I think you need to be able to answer questions backwards and forwards in that area of it. But I also think you need, and I, you don't need to know. So don't take that as you need to know, you know, everything about everything to get started as a mentor. But I think that's what people are looking for is they're looking for your expertise and they're looking for your knowledge. And then I also think that you should be well-versed enough across other parts of the company so that you can answer just general questions as a mentor. So like, I don't, you know, I don't know our sales process in detail or our call taking process in you know, hundred percent detail, but I could give you a pretty good rundown of what, what we do in each of those um, departments, you know, so knowing, you know, enough about the business to be able to answer any kind of questions they might have, or again, be able to put them in touch with the person at your company that, you know, might uh, be able to answer that for them. Fantastic. You've already given me so much great nuggets of wisdom, Brad. I have a few more questions for you, if you don't mind. So in our last conversation, you talked a lot about leveraging Google Sheets and real-time data to make the best business decisions. Talk to me more about that because I know people in the industry love to talk about data. So answer <laughs> that how you will. Any of my coworkers that, that listen to this are going to already make more fun of me because they call me like, Brad, I love spreadsheets, Peshek around here. And they make all, and make fun of me for how much I, I, I like <laughs> spreadsheets and I nerd out on that kind of stuff. But so with Google, you know, for me, when I remember Google suite, it was a, a free alternative to Microsoft office when I was in college. And so like, that's, that was like when I first remember it coming out and then, you know, um, I didn't really use it that much in teaching. And then as I was do, you know, w once I came into this role, McWilliams and son, I would talk to my wife about some stuff and be like, this is what I'm trying to do. And she's like, she'd be like, Oh my gosh. She's like, have you tried, you know, using Google docs for that or Google sheets? And I was like, no, it's, it's crap. You know, like, I don't know what, you know, how you could use that. And she's like, Oh, she's like, they've made some improvements. And so she was like, look, and so she would show me stuff that they were doing in school. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And I was like, so when you do that, it links to this and it updates this spreadsheet. And then I can have it update this PowerPoint. And so that's how, you know, I originally got back into it and I started, you know, messing around with it. And um, so what we use it a lot for is, you know, cause it's, it's one of those things I tell people, they, they want service Titan to be so customized that it gives me this exact report and this exact dashboard of, of how I want it to be. But I don't, I don't want this bar to be blue. I want it to be, you know, this shade of blue. And I'm like, look, okay, they can't, they can't just give you programming rights and make, make it, totally customized to what you want it to do. So that's what we use it for is if a report doesn't do exactly, you know, or maybe there's some from this report that we want and we want it to combine it all into like a, a nice dashboard is we will drop reports, you know, the Excel files from service Titan into a Google sheets. And then there's formulas in there that will refine the data that, that, you know, we want it to pick out and then it will, you know, push that into a chart and then you can have that chart linked to, a Google spreadsheet. And that's what we use as our KPI displays in our office. So that's kind of the, the, the extent. And we like to use Google forms also a lot for um, just anytime we need to get input on something or collect information from our team members, we send out a Google form and, you know, they can enter that real quick and it comes back to us as a spreadsheet, you know, so that's kind of the, the extent of what we use it for, but I love it. Noted. Brad, I love spreadsheets. Peshek. <laughs> <laughs> Math teacher turned CFO. Yeah. That's going to be the name of this podcast, Brad. Yeah. All right. So final question for me, and then I'm going to get into some rapid fire questions. So I know you're a long distance runner and you're trained to do a sprint triathlon, which sounds hard. <laughs> Is there a metaphor in this between your personal work and work experience that we can talk about maybe about endurance? So, yes. Um, 
You know, I, I kind of had to really think about this one because I, I was like, I, I have it, you know, something in my mind and I wanted to make sure I had like a, a good answer for this. So, you know, I, I did share with you that I, I, I try to be a you know godly influence for my family. And, and so I went to, uh, I knew this, this verse from the Bible. I had to go look it up so I could quote it, but it's, it's Hebrews 12 one. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. And so what that maybe makes me think of is, you know, in relation to the business world is that it's, it's always a, a, a sometimes a struggle and, you know, you, you've got to have endurance because it's, it's not a sprint. Um, and we have, you know, so many people that are relying on us, so many team members that are, you know, relying on you ultimately as managers to make this, this work and to make this, this business successful. And so to liken that to, you know, the endurance and the distance running is, you know, the first time, you know, when you start, you, you may do a mile and then you say, okay, so now I'm, I'm going to get up to two miles and I can get up to three, you know, to a 5k and then eventually maybe a 10k and half marathon. And as you continue to build those endurance, that endurance for yourself, each step now looks like it's so much easier. And you're like, man, how did I ever get to this, this point now? And so that is, you know, how I relate it to the, the metaphor, I guess, of, of the endurance of the business growth is, you know, you're going to, with each step, you have to continue to push yourself further than you thought you could and further than you previously did last year. And then you're going to look back and you're going to go like, man, that was, that was easy back then. And I thought it was hard, you know, and then it, it also helps like when you're saying, oh my gosh, like, well, this year we're, you know, we're trying to go up to 15 million and we're bringing on 15 new team members. How are we going to do it? And you go, Hey, you know what? Last year we were trying to do 25% growth and, and bring on this many team members and we did it and we got through it. So it's also just that, um, you know, continue like when I have success in this and I've, I've, I was able to push through now I can go to the next level and I can push through again. So. Excellent answer, Brad. Excellent answer. I have some rapid fire questions I want to ask you, but before I do, uh -oh. I asked you for some books and podcast recommendations, and I know you had some in mind. So why don't you go ahead and share some of the ones that have been really helpful for you? Okay. Um, unfortunately, I don't really have any podcast recommendations. I'm, I'm kind of first, you know, really getting into that. I kind of, you know, shared that with you. So I, I don't have any recommendations. I, I do have a lot of book recommendations. So the seven habits of highly effective people is probably one of my, my favorite uh, favorites of all time, just from a standpoint of teaching you, you know, how, how people's minds tick and how your own mind ticks and, and just becoming more effective in that area. Then the speed of trust, which is actually written by Stephen Covey's son, see you at the top, Zig Ziglar, how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie, start with why Simon Sinek, the 21 Irrefutable Laws by John, Mac Mac ugh, John Maxwell, Man's Search for Meaning uh, by Viktor Frankl. Uh, yeah. That's a really good book. Dave, Dave, knows, Dave was actually the one that recommended that one to me. What Got You Here Won't Get You There, Marshall Goldsmith, and then Never Split the Difference by Chris Paul. So that was kind of the list that I went through and you know I picked out the ones that I felt like had the most influence so far. Yeah, those were all great, especially the Viktor Frankl book. That's on my list. I'm really excited to read Man's yeah. reading. Uh, <laughs> from what I've heard of the story, it's really yeah, absolutely. It'll it'll make you go like, well, I I don't have anything to complain about, and I can overcome anything. So <laughs> truly, truly. All right, are you ready for some rapid fire questions? Okay. Yes. Okay. How do you take your coffee? Um, with creamer. Not me too. If you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, I just say dead or alive. If, okay. I'm going to do both. Tim, if it was dead, it would be uh, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. If it was alive, it'd be Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow. Okay, cool. Cool. And FDR. Haven't heard that one yet. That's pretty good. I admire you for just saying I'm giving you two. <laughs> What's the number one thing you're trying to learn more about right now? The uh, just overall financials of not only our company, but just understanding it on a, on a higher level um, uh, as far as business financials. Got so. it. So if money weren't an object, so you had unlimited resources, what's the first thing you would do? I would buy a beach house um, in Port Aransas, our favorite place to locate or to uh, vac vacation. And um, probably just retire down there and just hang out. 
Yeah. I mean, some people have said you're actually the first person that's answered that question that way. And I thank you for it. Cause I was starting to think that I was a little crazy. I'm like, wait, no one would just retire. Okay. Um, <laughs> what's the number one thing every contractor should do to run a successful business? Invest in themselves and invest in their people. Yep. 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 I agree. Brad, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed getting to know you. And thank you so much for sharing so much knowledge, so much wisdom. I know that our audience appreciated it. Well, thank you again for having me, Jackie. It was uh, my pleasure. Ever wonder how much your business is worth? So many owners ask that question and have no idea where to turn for an answer. In just a few clicks, Service Titan's new Service Business Valuation Calculator can give you an easy and free estimate of the current value of your business. Whether you're thinking about selling your company or looking to track growth, check it out now. Visit servicetitan.com slash value. Again, that's servicetitan.com slash value. See how much your business is worth today. Want to network with fellow service entrepreneurs and former guests of this podcast? Join our private Facebook group, Toolbox for the Trades, to get immediate access to the best tips, tricks, and tactics from fellow service entrepreneurs. Visit facebook.com slash groups slash toolbox for the trades, or click the link in our show notes to join. See you online.